Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. You're not dreaming. You You don't have to pinch yourself. They allowed the youth pastor to preach today. So bear with me. Very nervous. Never preached in front of adults before. So I usually, like I said, middle schoolers. But uh, as I understand, you guys are in a series called Fact Check, and it's on the screen, okay, uh, about truth and honesty and discernment. And when Dan approached me about taking the third week in this series, uh, once the, oh, you want me to preach uh, kind of wear it off, uh, I started to think about what I want to talk about. And I thought it'd be cool if we flipped the coin and talked about dishonesty. Uh, Because I don't think you can truly understand honesty without having a full understanding of its opposition, which is dishonesty, right? And dishonesty is something that we've all dealt with in some form or another, right? It it has affected relationships that we've had in the past. It's affected our self-awareness, other issues. But... uh, We've all dealt with it. We've all lied. We've all been lied to. Uh, Whether that's cheating on a test or ignoring the numbers on a scale or my personal favorite, no officer, I have no idea why you pulled me over today. Um, Through a lot of research and, well, my own personal faults, uh, I have found that there are three types of dishonesty, and that's what I want to cover today. But before we get into that, as I had mentioned previously, I have had quite a lot of experience with dishonesty. Um, I wouldn't say I am now, but in, as a, when I was a teenager, I was, I, I lied a lot, uh, as a lot of teenagers do, um, but it was, it was pretty frequent. You could ask my dad, he's here, he'll, he'll agree with that, yeah. Uh, but I want to take us back to 2011, when I was 11 years old. Let's give the older members of our audience a second to catch their breath. Yes, uh, in 2011, I was 11. Uh, I'm young now, and if we use deductive reasoning... I was younger then. So what we have here is me, the dude in the plaid shorts. Um, I am fully aware that plaid shorts are not a wise style choice anymore. But in 2011, they were all the rage. Uh, Where's Dan? Is Dan here? Yeah, right? Yeah. I I loved them. But uh, I digress. When I was 11, I was a little bit of a live wire, uh, which was my English teacher's way of saying I didn't pay attention in class, and I liked to talk a lot. Uh, And that got me in a lot of hot water, like a lot. I'd get in trouble every other day. Uh, And in one of these occasions, I was given lunch detention. See, lunch detention wasn't really a big deal for me because uh, as a heavier set child, uh, lunch wasn't about talking to people. I was a man on a mission, and that mission was a chicken sandwich. But what I was scared of, uh, which I would find out later, is that when you get lunch detention, you're given a lunch detention slip, which has to be signed by a parent. Yeah, right? So for a little bit of context, I had recently been given uh, a PSP. Does anybody know what a PSP is? Anybody? No? So it's a small game system that you can carry. It's a handheld game system. And it's kind of similar to, like, the kids nowadays have the Nintendo Switch. It's kind of like that, 
but it was PlayStation, so it was infinitely better in every way. Yeah. So I, I wasn't allowed to bring it to school uh, because my dad was afraid I would lose it, um, which I, I didn't like, but was probably good parenting in that moment. Um, but I'd come home from school every day, and I would take it off the charger and disappear into a world of gaming. And we had this kind of unspoken agreement that I got to keep said PSP if three rules were met. And that was I kept my room straight, I didn't argue with my parents, and I didn't misbehave in school. So the lunch detention was in direct opposition to the third clause in that contract. So I had to get creative. I could have just told the truth, but uh, I, you guys are all smart. I, I guess you can tell that if we're talking about dishonesty today, I probably didn't tell the truth, right? Oh, I'm getting nods. I'm getting, I like it. Uh, well, before I tell you guys what I did, I need to address my students who are here. I see some over there. I see some back there. What I'm about to say that I did, mad dumb, super stupid. Don't do it. Just don't. I'm going to need visual nods. Yeah? Okay. Yeah? Yeah? All right. Uh, parents, you saw that, right? Kids, if you, if you think you're going to do it now, you're going to feel pretty dumb because you just said you wouldn't. And parents, I won't be answering emails because I just told them not to do it. So what I did was I, I went home and I, I pulled out my backpack. I pulled out a detention. I had the detention slip and I pulled out a permission slip and put them right next to each other. And I plagiarized my dad's signature. I know, absolutely diabolical. And my dad was none the wiser. Uh, side note, I had a conversation with him the other day. He doesn't even remember this story at all, so that's pretty funny. Um, because it's a key memory in my childhood that is burned in, but I digress. Um, back to the story. I, I went to school the next day, and my English teacher walks up to me and asks for the permission slip. And I think it's important to let you guys know that I was a theater kid, so I had a tendency to embellish things a little bit, and it might have been my downfall. So I'm sitting there at the desk, she asked for the detention slip, and I hand it over to her with a big, big smile on my face. Who smiles at detention? Me. Um, and so I handed it over to her, and I was, like, I was like, here, here's my detention slip with the signature on it. I actually said that. Um, and she looked at it, she looked at me, and she bought it. Like, she walked back to her desk and did whatever English teachers do, probably like reading Shakespeare or giving me a B on a paper I deserved an A on. But anyway, I went to lunch. I served my lunch attention. Everything was fine. Uh, I even had like a clever way that I could listen to music. I would roll my uh, earphones through my sleeve and put it up to my ear, um, which for younger viewers today... Um, Headphones don't have, didn't used to, or used to have wires attached to them. And our older audience, um, they don't have wires anymore. Crazy. I know. But uh, I went back to my class, uh, and I was heading my way to social studies, and my English teacher was standing outside of her classroom. I was like, come here. And I couldn't think of any possible reason that she would want to speak to me other than to give me some sort of award. Um, I, I think, again, I have to point out that because of my diabolical plan succeeding, uh, I, my ego had inflated to the level of Al Capone. Like, I was a criminal mastermind. And so she tells me to come to the classroom. I'm like, okay, whatever, I didn't write a speech, but, you know, rock and roll. And so I walk in, and this is where I'm presented with the scariest image I have ever seen in a classroom. And I taught preschool for three years. 
and I've completed higher education. So I've been in a lot of classrooms. To this day, this is the scariest image. I walk in, and it's my English teacher, the vice principal of the school, and my dad. Huh. See, what I had failed to realize uh, when devising this master plan is that at the time, I had a handwriting style that resembled handing a drunk monkey a magic marker. <laughs> and so she knew right away that there was no way that this signature was done by an adult. So, I lost my PSP. Uh, some other things, too. Uh, some far worse things. I was grounded, but also I had to serve uh, an in-school suspension, uh, which is one of the worst things that the public school system has ever devised. It's the closest thing to prison I've ever experienced. They put you in a room with just four desks. There's no whiteboard, no posters or anything on the wall. It's just a fluorescent white for eight hours, and there's like a teacher who's in charge of it who had a breathing problem. So like it was for eight hours, you, every five seconds you would just hear, Arr. And just, that is ingrained in the memory. So why the long convoluted story about my criminal past, I hear you asking? Well, that's because the first type of dishonesty we are talking about today is lying to others. It's the most common, probably, to us. Uh, and let's see here. Today I want to look at a pretty well-known story in Scripture, and that is the story of Peter's denial of Christ. Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 26, 69 to 75. Okay. Can you guys read that? Good, because I didn't know. All right, so now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. That's, oh, whoops. Okay, so for context, I think it's important to know that that conversation happened at the Last Supper. Uh, but it's even more important to take a second to look at Peter's original response to that, uh, which was, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. But even a few hours later, like, that's exactly what he did, right? You know, he, he swore, like, no, not me, I, I would never do that. And then he did. Why? Why would he do that? Well, well why do you lie? This is where the whole youth pastor thing is going to come in. Shout them out. Why do you lie? Give me a reason. Anyone? Out of trouble, right? Consequence. Protection, right? That's a good one. I like that. But you said I looked nice earlier. Was that? Okay, anyway. I think when you take all those answers and you boil it down, it's fear. 
whether it's a fear of embarrassment or a fear of consequence. And I think the same can be said for Peter. You know, if we look, it says he was afraid of the immediate consequences, right? So much so that he overlooked the long-term consequences of denying Jesus. Similar to my story when I was so afraid of losing my PSP that I overlooked what could happen if I got caught plagiarizing. Uh, spoiler alert, it was bad. I mean, you already heard it, so it's not really a spoiler, but not great. Um, but if we were to look uh, back at Scripture and we look at his third denial, it says that Peter began to call down curses. So the calling down of curses was actually a very common legal practice uh, in Roman culture uh, because the Romans believed so much in the power of curses that it, the mere fact that somebody would be willing to call one on themselves surely meant they were innocent. It's kind of the Roman equivalent of somebody being like, if I'm lying, may God strike me down with lightning right now. All right, we're good. So, Peter was afraid of being killed for his association with Jesus, so much so that he thought it would be easier to lie about it in that moment. Our dishonesty can often come from fear. Many types of fear. It also happens to be a product of us being afraid of how we're perceived a lot of times, which can lead directly into our second type of dishonesty, which is lying to yourself or self-deception. And this, this is a little more dangerous, um, so we're going to try a little activity here. Um, I'm going to need all of you to close your eyes. Some of you have your eyes open. Okay, keep them closed. I want you to imagine with me for a second a, a person, all right? This person is full of himself, arrogant, the kind of guy that you would say is high on his own supply. But there's like a phony essence about him. You can't really put your finger on it. It seems like maybe he's not being honest about who he is or what he's going through or things like that. Raise your hand if you've known that person in your life. Okay. Lower your hands. Keep your eyes closed. Raise your hand if you've been that person. Okay. And then one more. This one's a little more, uh, it's going to cause a little more bravery. Um, raise your hand if you currently are that person. Like, don't, don't worry about people seeing you. Everyone's eyes should be closed. It's between you, God, and the Facebook live stream. Um, just kidding. I don't think they can see you. I think, all right, uh, you guys can open your eyes. So while I was surprised about the level of honesty in this room, so give yourselves a, like, a round of applause, that was great. Um, but uh, what I wasn't surprised about is that more of you raised your hand when you said you knew that person than those of you who were willing to admit that you were or you had been that person. And the reason this is, and the reason that self-deception is so dangerous is because a lot of times we start to believe our own lies so much that we are blinded to it. We don't even know. And one way this happens is through a process called cognitive dissonance, uh, which is when our, our values and our morals clash with our actions and our behaviors. And so in the case of Scripture today, if we were to look at Peter's denial, we could see that it might have been an attempt to resolve the dissonance between his previous declarations of loyalty and his current behavior. See, by denying Jesus, he might have been trying to rationalize his actions to himself. 
when doing research on self-deception, I stumbled across a really good description uh, in a book called Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box, by the Arbinger Institute. And it says, self-deception blinds us to the true causes of problems. And once we're blind, all the solutions we can think of will actually make matters worse. Self-deception obscures the truth about ourselves, corrupts our views of others and our circumstances, and inhibits our ability to make wise decisions. How many of you have ever done something that clashed with your values? Right? Most of us. It's not really a hard thing to admit. Many times when this happens, we start to try to rationalize our actions, saying things like, well, that's not who I am, but in this certain circumstance, it seems okay. Uh, or the favorite one of, of youth, which is everyone else is doing it, so I might as well. Uh, we call that peer pressure. Don't do it. Um, so we all start to try to rationalize. Uh, in, in personal experience, when you have to try to rationalize actions to yourself, probably shouldn't be doing them. I just think that's a safe thing to say. Uh, but self-deception isn't a new problem for mankind. Uh, in fact, you could probably trace it all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, uh, which kind of is what Dan talked about last week. Uh, while the serpent did cause Adam and Eve to, to doubt, uh, I believe that the real danger uh, and kind of where self-deception entered the fray uh, is when they let that doubt sink into their heart and they started to trust their own hearts over God. And that's where this issue of self-deception can become so dangerous because we see it in our heart. We believe it. Uh, and actually, later on in the Old Testament, in, in Jeremiah, we're, we're warned of why we shouldn't do that. Uh, in Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or in that version, who can understand it? Fun fact, when you guys are writing a sermon, if ever... Um, it's probably best to use the same version of the Bible when you're writing and when you're making the slides. This is what happens. You get the point, though. All right. And this can kind of lead us directly into the third and final type of dishonesty I wanted to cover today, which is lying to God. So the final type of dishonesty uh, can seem a little harder to understand. Like, how do you lie to someone who's all-knowing, right? You can't, right? Well, wrong. Uh, so if you were to open... If you were to open the Merriam-Webster Dictionary uh, and find the definition of lying, you'd be presented with this definition, which is lying is the act of deliberately making a false statement with the intent to deceive or mislead somebody. You see, it's all about the intention. In fact, you can boil down dishonesty to that word, your intention, what you're doing, what you intend to do. You may not have meant to hurt anybody or do anything like that, but you did intend to mislead somebody when you're lying. So that intention is a key word there. And this immediately takes me back to when I was a little kid, and I would like make a little white lie to like cover my tracks. You know, an innocent little white lie, but to cover your tracks. Everyone's done it. Um, parents, you can kind of back me up on this, but it took me a long time to realize that just because I was lying to my parents didn't mean they didn't already know I was lying. Uh, in fact, nine times out of ten, they probably knew before I even walked in the room. Uh, and so... Right? Like, yeah. So, fun fact, uh, you know, since God's perfect, his numbers are a little better than that. Uh, 10 out of 10, God always knows the truth. 
he created it, so he knows the truth. But just because God knows the truth doesn't mean that you haven't lied to him. See, if we go back to the story, uh, Jesus actually predicted exactly what Peter would do. He says, then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. See, this took, wow, I made more slides than I thought I did. Sorry, guys, in the back. Um, but yeah, this, this took Peter off guard. You know, he's like, not me, I would never, I'm like the super disciple. Yet, you know, just a few hours later, that's exactly what would happen. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was present for most of Jesus' earthly ministry. He was, he was an eyewitness account to many of the big events that we see in the New Testament. Uh, and he was also like a middleman for the rest of the disciples. Anytime Jesus would do something that seemed unexplainable, that's when Peter would walk in and start to explain to the other disciples what exactly had happened. And so that's why it's so jarring when you read Scripture to see that Peter is the one who did that. He's the one that denied Jesus. It's like the ultimate plot twist. It doesn't fit the narrative. Uh, in fact, like M. Night Shyamalan couldn't write a more confusing plot twist than this. And so what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? You know, if Peter, this super disciple, is susceptible to the pull of dishonesty despite its overwhelming consequence, he's still susceptible to it. What, is, what does that say about us? I mean, I think the obvious thing is that we're susceptible to it too. If not more so, you know, we didn't walk with Jesus every day like Peter did. We're susceptible to the pull. And so, I want to kind of take a second to step out of the story um, and talk about our main point today. Uh, and that's that God knows when we're lying even when we don't. And that goes directly into the whole self-deception thing that I talked about earlier, like when we're believing our own lies or being the person who I said who's high on your own supply. Um, when you are bowing down, like bowing your head in, in tears and promising to go to church more or to stop rooting for the Dallas Cowboys or to, to stop drinking, or enter your vice here. You know, God knows if you're truly being repentant. So that begs the question, why do we even go to him, right? I don't know about you, but I find it personally comforting that he knows. And so you go to him, there's no reason not to tell him the truth. Same thing with your, you know, the little kids with the parent, right? They walk into the room afraid of confrontation, parent already knows what happened. They just want to hear you admit it. So, I know I just spent like half an hour describing dishonesty to you and, and how we're all sinful beings without hope, uh, and that's kind of a downer. Uh, but, luckily, that's not where the story ends. Uh, see, if we represent d dishonesty, sin, and depravity, then our Savior represents truth, hope, and deliverance. So not to give the quintessential Sunday school answer, but how do you escape a life of dishonesty? Yeah, through a life and relationship with Jesus. It really is that simple. 
I want to go back to the story one more time. Go back to Peter. Uh, this is in a different section of scripture. That's going to be in John 21, 15 to 17. Yep. Yeah, this happens after, uh, after Jesus' resurrection. We catch back up with Peter and Jesus, and this conversation happens. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, or yeah, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So I know that the, the language can kind of be a little confusing. The idea of uh, feeding my sheep and taking care of my sheep in this situation is meant to convey uh, forgiveness. It's Jesus forgiving Peter for the denial. Um, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the scripture, he does it three times. How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three. So this is meant to mirror that. And so Jesus forgave Peter is the bottom line there. He forgave the person, his friend, who had denied him and lied to him, lied about him. He still forgave him. And what does that say for us, right? Well, simply put, if you have a relationship with Jesus and you come to him with a repentant heart, he's going to forgive you too. I want to take a second um, I'm not going to pretend that, or like say that everybody in this room uh, is fully Christian because I know that I sat in churches for years without fully being a Christian. Um, and I want, I want to let you guys know that that forgiveness is possible. Jesus, God sent Jesus down to die for our sins. And because of that, you know, we, we have the opportunity to be in relationship with him and be forgiven. Forgiveness is kind of, you know, our Savior's whole thing. It's, it's his, his forte, if you will. Uh, and so if you haven't, you know, made that declaration of faith, uh, I, I pray that you talk to somebody about it. Um, and if you're open, have that conversation. It's truly life-changing. It has been for me. And I'm sure many people in this room could tell you it's been for them too. So, identifying dishonesty in our lives can be a very difficult task. Especially in cases of self-deception, right? Where we don't know. It requires a lot of self-reflection and prayer. And it also requires confession. That can be the hardest part of dishonesty sometimes. Uh, telling the truth. But I want, to, I want to leave you guys with a challenge today. It's the final challenge. Uh, and that is to examine your lives for, for areas of dishonesty and commit to addressing them. You know, I'm not, I'm not naive. I know that some of these issues we're dealing with are deep down, right? I'm just asking you to, to look at them, to address them, let them know they're there. Because sometimes that's the first step, right? 
Right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to speak out of your word today uh, and to, to let all these people know the dangers of dishonesty, but also the truth and deliverance that is found in your word and in a relationship with, you, with your son. I pray that everybody in here uh, who's dealing with something, uh, that you give them the power to speak up about it and to talk to people uh, and to ultimately to come to you with it. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.